0: Uh, today, we're, in a, we're, we're continuing a series, I think it's our third week maybe, um, in our series on overcoming hurdles to faithfulness. And so we've looked at suffering last week, kind of general suffering. This morning, we're kind of honing in on a subgroup of suffering that, that uh, we would call persecution. And so we want to talk today about overcoming the hurdle of persecution. Polycarp was a pastor in Smyrna, which today is modern-day Izmir in Turkey. Um, He was one of the last known Christians that we know of uh, to have known an apostle personally. Uh, Polycarp knew the apostle John, was a disciple of his. He was arrested, Polycarp was arrested by the Romans as an old man and brought into the stadium to be executed for his faith. The proconsul said, Swear, reproach Christ, and I will set you free. And if you know anything about the life of Polycarp, you've heard his famous response to the governor. Eighty-six years have I served him, Polycarp declared, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The proconsul said, I have wild animals here. I will throw you to them if you do not repent. Polycarp replied, call them. It's unthinkable for me to repent from what is good, to turn to what is evil. I will be glad, though, to be changed from evil to righteousness. The proconsul went on, if you despise the animals, I will have you burned. Polycarp's response, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is then extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. And history tells us that Polycarp was indeed burned at the stake for following Jesus. That was in A.D. 160. It's the earliest record that we have of a martyrdom outside the New Testament. When we think of persecution, we probably think about something like that, don't we? It seems far away from the world in which we live. I want to show you a brief video from a young Christian brother named Sharif, who lives in the city of Zanzibar in the African nation of Tanzania, just below Kenya. This video he posted ten days ago. My dog. It says, "Brother Sharif, uh, few days remain for you to leave. This is the last warning. And we hate to hear the news about Jesus and Christianity. Uh, Christian is a false religion. Give up." Give up teaching um, people the Bible in Zanzibar. And if you continue teaching and proclaiming about Christ, we will kill you. This is a message of sin today on my dog. Please keep praying for me. Two days later, on October 8th, he posted on Twitter the verse from Romans 8, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. He hasn't posted since. That is in 2022. And not at all uncommon in parts of the world in which we live, but it still seems so far away, doesn't it? I mean, Africa, that's far away worlds away. I could take you this morning to the streets of Edinburgh, Scotland, where I lived as a teenager when my parents were missionaries there. We used to do street preaching in the large public gathering place downtown. I remember the first time I did that. I remember how scared I was. But aside from the odd heckling, it seemed pretty safe at the time. Today, if I did that, in the very same place, and used certain words in my message, I could be arrested for hate speech and put in jail, like some of our Christian brothers in Edinburgh have done and have been arrested. But even that's across an ocean. We don't feel such persecution in America, yet... But the Bible records sobering words in Paul's letter to Timothy, doesn't he? His last letter to Timothy. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Brothers and sisters, do you desire to live a godly life? Are you wanting to be faithful all the way to the end? God doesn't promise you, as some heretics would say today, your best life now. He promises persecution. It may be minor. It might be life or death. But it will come. And it may come quickly. Much more quickly than we think. I want us to be prepared for such persecution i want us to be able to face it faithfully and the account in acts 4 can help us to do exactly that as we think about the text here the story of the christian church to this point in acts has been a story of extraordinary growth you remember acts chapter 2 on the day of pentecost 3000 people converted at the Sermon of Peter, just like that. And others have since been added. In verse 4 of our chapter, we're told that there's a further explosion of new converts that takes place in the context of the healing of this lame man that Brother Greg described for us back in Acts 3. And Luke says here at the end of that verse, verse 4, that the number of the men came to about 5,000. That's just the men. Which means that here in Jerusalem, within a few weeks of the great day of Pentecost, there was a community of believers probably numbering about 15,000 Christians. Men, women, children who were confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. And very often throughout church history, if you follow church history, we see a, a very characteristic pattern that, When things like this happen, when awakenings or revivals or when great crowds of people simultaneously come to faith in Jesus Christ, there's never been similar drastic advance in the kingdom of God without it being followed by something that costs the Christian church deeply in terms of Supernatural or human opposition. And in the next three chapters, we find that opposition showing itself in a variety of different ways. And, um, and, and this is, again, very characteristic. Oftentimes it shows up, first of all, in, in fierce opposition from the outside. And, and then second, the opposition manifests itself through a very subtle destructive hypocrisy from the inside. That's what we see see happen here in Acts in chapter 5 in the case of Ananias and Sapphira. But then third, we also see that opposition revealing itself by division that creeps up inside the church and seeks to divide and destroy, such as we're seeing in the church at Corinth in our study that we're doing there. Opposition from outside, opposition from hypocrisy on the inside, and opposition that causes division in the church. These always seem to be the weapons, the chief weapons that are employed by our enemy to halt the advance of what Jesus Christ is doing in the power of the Holy Spirit in this world. And it's very interesting to notice here in Acts 4, how that the opposition that was beginning to show itself in Acts 3 now explodes. So these two apostles, Peter and John, having done a a good thing, right? Healed a lame man. They seem like they're almost instantly surrounded within 24 hours. They're arrested. They're put in jail. And then uh, that's in verse 1. We've got the priest of the temple guard, you've got the Sadducees, they, they've come against them. By the next day, when, when they give them a hearing, uh, the rulers, the elders, the scribes, uh, Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, these men from the high priest's family, there's been an explosion of the power of God in Jerusalem. And immediately, you see the strategy of the powers of darkness. They're bringing the troops in from every side, almost with this fanatical speed to shut the mouths of those who are proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. And there's something quite extraordinary about that opposition. So let's kind of work through this account. I'm actually going to work through, in the few minutes we have here together today, I'm going to work through verses 1 through 31. 31. So this isn't going to be an in-depth, verse-by-verse necessarily, exegetical type message. But I want to work through the account and see what lessons we can learn about how we can properly respond to persecution for our faith, which is a hurdle that has the capacity to trip us up as we run the race that's set before us race of faith. So if you're taking notes, and it's always good to do that, point number one, notice the indictment of the accusers. Verses 5 through 12. The indictment of the accusers. So in verses 5 through 12, the Sanhedrin, the high priests, they question these men. They question Peter and John. And there's something almost insulting here in the language about their attitude to the apostles. And, And whose name... By what power, what authority did you do this? And you see something of, of the perverseness of their hearts here. Here is this lame man who's right here with them, the text tells us. He's right there. He's 40 years old. He's been incapable of daily work all his life. People know this man. To him, these Religious leaders apparently show no mercy, as they probably showed him no interest as they passed by him every day on their way to the temple. And now they're furious, what gets them annoyed, I like the word annoyed, they're mad, they're furious, is that in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, this man has been so gloriously healed. And they're ticked off about it. And so they ask questions about authority. By what power did you do this? What is this name in which you have done this? Is this a name that that we've authorized? Is this a name we recognize? Is this a name that we have put our stamp of approval on? And how do the apostles respond? Imprisoned. Dragged before the council, the Sanhedrin. How do they respond to these efforts to silence them, to bully them? Well, they respond by telling them even more about Jesus, don't they? And telling them very frankly and very bluntly a couple of things. First, about the unique identity of Jesus. His historical identity. He is Jesus of Nazareth. The way in which he has fulfilled messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. He is Christ. The marvelous way that God has vindicated him. And look how they go after these guys. Whom you crucified. That Jesus, God raised from the dead. They are told, stop speaking the name of Jesus. And what do they do? Over and over through this passage, they speak the name of Jesus with even greater fullness, with even deeper application. It's interesting, isn't it, when Peter later in life gets to writing his first letter, and he writes this in 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15, maybe reflecting back on something like Acts 4. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And that's what Peter and John are doing in Acts 4. You see this Beautiful combination that gives him this boldness. He has honored Jesus Christ in his life as Lord. Jesus comes first. Absolute loyalty. And he is ready to explain this gospel to anyone who asks him questions about his faith. He not only speaks about this unique identity of Jesus, but he also speaks about the unique ability of Jesus. In verse 10, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by him, this man is standing before you well. Like, did you miss this, guys? Interesting, in verse 12, he uses the very same word when he says there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The word for well at the end of verse 10, the words saved and at the end of verse 12 are the same word. And Luke uses that word to show us what Peter's thinking, what Peter is saying. He's saying, you've seen the healing power, the saving power of Jesus to heal this man. But that miracle, like all the miracles, is simply the sign of another power that Jesus Christ has. It's an illustration in the here and now of the power of Jesus, not just to save you physically, but to save you also from the judgment of God to which you are heading because you crucified Him and you despised Him and you rejected Him. Peter's saying, you saw that man Walk and jump and run and praise God. And that's the kind of thing Jesus Christ is able to do. And then he goes on to say, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, rescued. And so he quotes the ancient prophecy there from Psalm 118, the stone... That was rejected by you, the builders, the religious leaders of God's people. You're the one supposed to be building God's holy temple. The stone that was rejected by you has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone of the whole thing. The one you rejected. The one you crucified. This is an indictment against the ones who are accusing them. Peter's giving a defense. He's giving a defense of the hope that he has in Jesus Christ. He is the one who has the unique identity and the unique ability to save. Now, brothers and sisters, we read a text like this, and we admire the boldness of a Peter, don't we? But don't make the mistake of saying, well, they were first century guys. We're... 21st century men and women. You know, we don't, we don't talk like that anymore. We're a little more, you know, we're not in your face, you know, with the gospel. We just kind of let it sneak up on you, you know, and we just live it out, you know. And listen, these guys lived in exactly the same kind of society as we do. A society in which there was a multitude of names to cling to, to be loyal to, a a multitude of religions, a multitude of objects of worship, a multitude of idols, a very pluralistic society, very much like we live in. But there's still, as there was in the first century, brothers and sisters, there's only one name that matters. And they were prepared even to die for this principle. Do you think when they were imprisoned that they had hope of release? They had just seen their leader crucified not long ago. What do you think is going through their mind? What's going to happen to them? They were ready to die, and some of them actually did die for this principle. Not simply that they said Jesus Christ is Lord, but that they said Jesus Christ is the only Lord, the only Savior. That's what brings on persecution, brothers and sisters. And it was the recognition of that, of course, that gave this urgency to their presentation of the gospel. So the first thing that, they, that these people did in, in, in the face of persecution was to continue to proclaim the gospel, which indicted their very accusers. Notice, secondly, verses 13 to 22, the intimidation of the believers. The intimidation of the believers. Now, we did not read this in our scripture reading, so let me go ahead and read these verses together. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. It's all through this first part of the chapter that we see this intimidation of the believers. The way in which these annoyed leaders came upon the Christians and seized them. The way that they've manipulated this meeting early the next morning. They've, gathered, they've managed to gather together all these people. Uh, the, the, the high priests and the scribes and the elders and the Sadducees. and the, Everybody. It's, it's extraordinary to, to, to achieve that. But what was more extraordinary was this. Just as was true in the Lord Jesus' case. Opposites united together in their opposition to Peter and John. You remember what happened in the case of Jesus? Herod and Pilate, no friends of each other. But when it came to Jesus, united in their opposition of Jesus. The same things happening here. The Sadducees and the Pharisees constantly at odds with each other. But when it comes to the Lord Jesus, they're of one mind. When it comes to what Jesus is doing through Peter and John, they want to destroy the influence of the gospel in Jerusalem, and they'll work together. They recognize something has happened here that they don't have any control over. But they do their best to say, stop preaching in his name. We can stop you if we want, you know. And the whole story is this story of intimidation. And I have very little doubt they thought that they would win. They thought they would win because there was only one time in recent history when they hadn't won, wasn't there? And even then they wanted to say that they won. They thought they managed to get rid of that person. But now he's haunting them through his followers, isn't he? So the rulers have placed them in prison. They tell them to stop preaching. They bring threats against them. And what they don't realize is these two men cannot and will not be stopped. Because in their devotion to Jesus Christ, everything else, everything else, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, all of it has become absolutely a matter of indifference to them in comparison with their loyalty to Jesus Christ. And that's why they say in verse 19, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. It's like Martin Luther wrote that we sang this morning, right? Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life Also, the body they may kill, God's truth abides still. His kingdom is forever. Now that's the great secret of being a Christian witness in a pluralistic society like the one in which we live, brothers and sisters. Because if you are paid, if you are prepared to pay whatever the cost, if you are utterly committed to to Jesus Christ there is nothing man can do to you to stop you nothing there's a great story of James Guthrie he was one of the Scottish covenanting martyrs he was faced with this very question all he needed to do was a little compromise and his life would be saved And they said to him in the old scotch, they said, Will you no juke a little, Mr. Guthrie? Will you no juke so that the full force of this persecution will simply go over your head? Will you not duck? And Guthrie, whom Oliver Cromwell later called the small man who would not stoop, he said, there's no juking in the cause of Christ. There's no juking in the cause of Christ. There's no ducking. And when we have settled this issue, brothers and sisters, when Jesus Christ comes first, we are actually beyond intimidation. And so as these two two apostles, Peter and John, return back to their friends, verse 23, back to their own people, they give their report, we're told the third thing that happens in this passage. It's beautiful, verses 23 to 31, the intercession of the whole church. This is worthy of a whole sermon. You want to hear it? Maybe another day. Yeah. This is worthy of a whole sermon itself, because this prayer really is Ephesians 6:10 through 20, illustrated and enacted. These are men who are wearing the whole armor of God. And at the end of all this persecution, they're still standing. You remember what Paul says in Ephesians 6 after he teaches about the armor of God, which these men are obviously wearing? Three times he says to the Ephesians, pray, pray, pray. He says, pray with all prayer. He says, pray for me. And he says, pray that the gospel may be proclaimed boldly. And so once they've come from these intimidating forces, they come to one who is infinitely more intimidating. The one who is the creator of the universe, the heavens and the earth, because, because that these men have learned to fear him, they don't need to fear man. They've come to the one who made the world. They've come to the one who is given words of prophecy that help them understand their circumstances. You see them quote Psalm 2, 1 and 2 in their prayer to help them understand what's happening to them. They have come to the one who rules recent history in the way in which Jesus has been delivered up and then raised up by the power of God. And then they make their appeal. And what do they pray for? What would you write to someone who's being persecuted in some other place? What do you say to Sharif if you had an opportunity? Someone who's experiencing persecution. Well, our instinct is to, you know, come alongside of them, put our arms around their shoulders and say, I'm really sorry to hear about all that you're going through and all that you're suffering for Jesus. And you know, that's understandable, but it's not quite biblical. And maybe to say it more accurately, it's not fully biblical because it's certainly good to come around and comfort people. But look at what these men pray for as they gather with the men and women in their church. Verse 29, they pray... And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. The instincts if you or I were called up by the police for our faith in Christ and we were threatened and we were released, the instinct, the natural instinct that many of us would have would be to withdraw, to back down, to shut up. But they're coming back to the Lord and saying, give us more. Show us more. Enable us to be bold as we continue to speak for Jesus Christ, whatever it means for us. And so, I don't know if you pick this up at all, but notice uh, notice the last verse there. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the holy spirit and continued to speak the word of god with boldness their prayer was answered but i don't know if you notice something there's a little correspondence with what happens there with what happened to another individual in the old testament do you remember back in isaiah chapter 6 when isaiah had a vision of being in the temple of the lord do you remember what happened to him the place where he was was shaken and then filled, and then there was a a voice that spoke. It's It's the same pattern, the same order. And the place where these people were gathered were shaken by the power and presence of God. They were able to speak the word more boldly because they were filled with the Spirit. In essence, they were all made prophets of God. The shaking of the church, the filling of the church, the speaking of the church. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back for our final song here in a minute. While they're coming, let's answer this question based on the account that we've briefly looked at this morning. Do you and I really want to see the gospel advance on the east side of Indianapolis to our neighbors? Do you, really, do you want to see that happen? Do you want to see the gospel advance? Are you and I going to be able to withstand the person, for the persecution that will come as a result of that? If so, I think there are six things that we need to have settled. Let me give them to you quickly. Maybe you can talk about them more in your ABF classes. Six things. First, are you settled in your mind and heart that there's no other way of salvation except in the name of Jesus Christ? Got to be settled about that. No other name. Got to be willing to die for that. Number two, are you progressing at least toward being beyond intimidation? Because the thing that really matters to you is the glory of Jesus Christ. Are you making progress in the loyalty, the first place that Jesus should hold in your heart? Or are there idols that supplant him in your life that need to be broken down? Number three, are you willing on your own and with others, to join in prayer that God will speak his word with extraordinary power by the Holy Spirit. Are you willing to pray with your brothers and sisters that God will speak his word by the Holy Spirit through us with extraordinary power? And along the lines, uh, number four, are you praying that God Himself will break in with power in ways that disturb both the church and our community? Are you willing to pray? God, do something here like you did there. Are you willing to pray that prayer? Number five, are you ready to be in a church when the place is shaken? (laughs) Whatever all that means. When we are shaken by the power of God. Are you willing to be in a church like that? And number six, are you willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak the word with boldness? And let's face it, this is the one that we fail at, isn't it? Are you willing to open your mouth? That person you see every day and you think every day, I should really say something to that person. And every day goes by and you don't say anything. Are you willing to open your mouth and speak the word with boldness? You know, sometimes we sit around and we complain Why is the church of Jesus Christ in the state it's in? Well, the answer, I think, is in the answers we give to these questions. And not really anywhere else. It doesn't lie in the pluralism of the 21st century. That's not the problem. It doesn't lie in the ungodliness of the 21st century. That's not the problem. It doesn't it even lie in the difficulty of being a Christian witness in the 21st century. That's not the problem. It's no different from the 1st century in some ways. In fact, in many ways, it's easier now, isn't it, than in the 1st century, at least now. Do you really want to see the gospel advance on the east side of Indianapolis and around your neighborhoods where you live and throughout the world? then, my friends, we must follow the patterns of Scripture and be a people and be a church who lives like this. So just before we sing a closing benediction, I've left a few minutes in my preaching time. I would like you to gather with three or four people around you and pray. And pray for the Lord to pour out His blessing. And his power on this community. And pray for the Lord to give you and I boldness in witnessing for the gospel. And pray that we put Jesus first beyond anything else. And if we can do that, brothers and sisters, with the Holy Spirit's help. Did you notice everything in Acts 4 was with the Holy Spirit's help? Everything. Go back and read it. Everything was with the Holy Spirit's help. Peter didn't say what he said without the help of the Holy Spirit. It's in the text. Go look at it. With the Holy Spirit's help, we can face persecution if the Lord chooses to bring that to us. But let's take just a few moments, pray, and then we'll close with a song of benediction.